slips. Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Well, sometimes, sometimes it happens at the end of a movie where you get this, uh, you get this epilogue, you get the, uh, the where are they now uh, there at the end of the movie, like, uh, like the Sandlot, if you've watched that one any time recently, and at the end it's going through the characters, <clears throat> and it, it says, you know, yeah, yeah, joined the army and invented bungee jumping. Um, Bertram got really into the 60s and nobody ever saw him again. Uh, Benny the Jet joined the Dodgers and became a star player. Well, in the passage we are looking at today, we, we get the, the epilogue. We get this end of the story. How, how does everything resolve? The, the where are they now? And, and we're going to look and we're going to see that Naomi has gone from being empty, bitter, cursed, and now her hands are full she has a, a child, she has food, she has been redeemed. So we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are at work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you remember that we talked at the very beginning of this this series, we talked about how important names are. Names are, are very, very important to this story. And in fact, names are very important to us uh, it just in life. It makes me think of the man who was invited to dinner with an older couple, and he watched how this husband was just always using such wonderful, sweet names for his, his wife of 70 years. He would call her honey. He would call her my love and sweetheart and pumpkin, and, and just always had some beautiful pet name for her. It was obvious that they were so in love. And when the wife went off uh, to another part of the house to do something, this man looked at the husband and he said, I think it is so wonderful after all these years, you still call your wife such sweet names. Well, the old man shrugged and he said, to be honest, I forgot her name about 10 years ago and at this point I'm afraid to ask. 
Names, names are important. Names are important, but it's also easy to forget. It's easy to forget names. It's easy to forget your own name when you are in, in grief, when you are, are going through trials of different kinds, when, when you're going through the, the storms of life. It is easy to forget who you are. It's easy to forget who you are, just like Naomi forgot her name. Call me Mara, she said. In her grief, she forgot. She, she returned to Bethlehem like we saw before. She returned to Bethlehem and she forgot her name. And she said, call me Mara. Call me bitter. She did almost nothing that we can see in the story except approve or, or, or give some, some advice to Ruth as Ruth was taking care of her. It's understandable Grief has a huge impact. Grief takes time to process. It takes time to go through it. But what Naomi needed through all of this is she needed a God who would never forget her name. See, Naomi comes and she says, call me Mara. Call me bitterness. Call me what I, what I am right now. She, she left behind her old name. She forgot it. She didn't even want to be identified by it anymore. But what does the inspired word of God call her? 21 times in these four chapters, Naomi. One time in these four chapters, Mara. And it's only on Naomi's lips that we read that name in this story. You see, through Naomi's grieving, through everything that she's going through, through all of the hard times, God never forgot her name. And he made sure that the person that he inspired, that, that the scripture that is God-breathed, that came onto these pages, that then, then God preserved through all of the years, he made sure that we could see that God never forgot her name. Her name is Naomi. And God never forgot that. And he doesn't forget yours either. See, sometimes we go through things that are so hard, and and we go through it for different reasons. And as we're coming into the holidays, there's so much joy, and there's so much that, that we love and we look forward to, but there are also things about it that can be hard. And sometimes... Those things can hit us and the waves can feel like they, they overwhelm us so that we look in a mirror or we think about, you know, maybe what we've been doing, maybe, maybe we go astray or, or we think about what's been going on or we think about the grief and we look in the mirror and just think, who am I? I don't even recognize myself right now. But God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly who you are. He never forgets your name. If you are in Christ, your your name is redeemed. And if you are not in Christ, then he is offering you that redemption. He is offering you that new name. God never forgets our name. That's the first thing that we should take away from this epilogue. Well, the second thing that we need, the second thing we need, uh, we get a glimpse of it in verse 17. It says, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to who? Naomi. Now remember, Ruth is standing in the gap here, and so Ruth is standing in for Naomi. So this son born of Ruth is credited as being Naomi's. 
But what do they call her? Look at these people, the women of the neighborhood. They come around and they say, a son has been born to Naomi. You see, we need a God who never forgets our name, but we also need his people who will call us by our name. See, we come up with all kinds of names for ourselves. Stupid, worthless, lazy, weak, right? Stick around the house of anybody that has small kids and you can come up with even more creative things. You'll hear them, you know, passing those names around. We can come up with all kinds of names for ourselves. And that's just what Naomi did when she was at her worst, when she was probably very unpleasant to be around. But what happens in this story? You go through, you look at every line, every line in this story, and what happens? Nobody calls her Mara. Nobody looks at her and says, you know what, you're right, your name is bitter and you're a bitter old woman and I don't even want to be around you. Nobody says that to her. Nobody calls her Mara. What does Ruth call her? Naomi. What does Boaz call her? Naomi. What do the neighbors call her here? They call her Naomi. And maybe I'm reading into this a little bit. I don't think I am. But maybe I am that eventually, as we see this and we picture Naomi holding this child on, on her lap, I think maybe Naomi has even come back to that acceptance of her name. Here she is. Naomi means sweetness. And here she is with this sweetness of, of holding a child in her arms. The sweetness in her words and the way that she talks to him. Sweetness in her manner and the way that she holds him and comforts him. Sweetness in the care that she provides for this child. I think that she has come to accept her own name. You and I need friends who will call us by our true name. Paul, in the New Testament, writes to the Corinthians. Now, if you know much about the Corinthian church, um, take any of the problems that you've ever experienced in a church and then multiply that by a lot, like a lot, like more, whatever you're thinking, more. That was the Corinthian church. They had all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems, all kinds of things going on. And if you read the letter to the Corinthians, you you can get into some of that and you see that Paul is addressing these things. He's not saying, oh, everything is fine. He's addressing some of these things that they're doing that are wrong, that they should not be doing, that are wicked. But how does he start the letter? How does he start the letter? He says, to the saints, to the hagioi, to the set-apart ones, to the holy ones, to the saints in Corinth. Paul starts his letter this same way, this same way. This, This church, this awful church with all these problems, Paul starts this letter the same way. He says, remember who you are. Remember who you've been called to be. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember your name. I haven't forgotten who you are. I haven't forgotten who God has called you to be. And then for the rest of the letter, what he's doing is he's going through and he's calling them back to that. And he's saying, that's not who you are. Come back over here. Stop doing that. That doesn't belong to saints. Come back to who you are. Remember your name. See, we need a God who never forgets our name. 
And we need people of God who will call us by our, new, our, our true name and will call us to act according to that. And you will only find that in the church. You'll hear it. You'll hear, you know, you know I don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus. And, and you do need to have that personal relationship with Jesus. But you also need the church because you will only find this in church. It is only among the people of God where your true name is known. It's only among the people who live by this book, who live by the Spirit of God, that that you know you have people that can look at you and they can say, you're not unclean, you're not unworthy, you're not a burden, you're you're not somehow not enough, You're, you're not unlikable, you're not unloved. They can look at you and they can describe you according to this book, the way God calls out to you and says that he has made you holy and righteous and clean and special and likable and eternally loved. Among the people of God, we can find those who will call us back to our true name, who will remind us of who we are. And you need friends like that. You need friends who will refuse to call you anything else when you are at your worst, when you are sitting there on the ground saying, call me bitterness because that's all I have. You need friends who will refuse to call you by that name and who will look at you and say, oh no, oh no, let me tell you who you are. We also need to be that kind of friend for each other. We need to be the kind of friends who when we see a brother or sister in Christ and they're starting to pile it on themselves and you can see that, that shame and those names just, just building on top of them, we need to be the ones that, that can dig through and look and say, hey, can, can, I, just, can I just tell you who, what God thinks about you? Can I just tell you what, what I think about you? We need to be that kind of friend as well as have that kind of friend. So we need a God who never forgets our name. We need his people who will call us by our name and call us back to our name. And then the third thing we need is we need a Savior whose name is above all names. See, Jesus, his name is above all names. In Philippians, Paul Paul writes that at his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At his name, his name is above all names. His name is the greatest name in history. And, And what that means, what that means is that history is all about him. It's a little bit of a cliche, but it's true. We call it his story, right? Because it is God's story. And Jesus, uh, even as he, as he is the, the resurrected Christ and he is walking, um, you know, he's walking on the road uh, to Emmaus and he's with them. And the scripture says that he explained to them how all of the scriptures were about him. His name is above all names. All of history is about him. Just like the book of Ruth is actually all about him. Did you hear it there at the end? These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. 
See, we, we call Naomi, Naomi. King David called her Grammy, right? And then generations after David, from the line of David, another son was born in Bethlehem. And he wasn't one that just saved one family. He was one that was born to save the world from sin. And they didn't call him Obed. They didn't call him David. They called him Jesus, Yeshua, Savior. His name is above all names. His name is above all names. Everything, everything is about him. It is for him. It is to him. Everything will work out according to his purposes. And that means that your life, your story, your name is in his hands. That is a good place to be. That is a good place to be. That means your story isn't over. Not even on your worst day. Not even on your worst day. I, I think about, <clears throat> sometimes when I'm thinking about this, I think about uh, a couple named David and Svi Flood, S-V-E-A. And we might have that first picture, Charlie. David and Svi Flood. They were Swedish. They were missionaries. They went to the Belgian Congo in 1921. When they got to the Congo and they got to this place, the chief of the town would not let them come into the town. Not only would he not let them live there, he would not let them come into the town. He was afraid of angering the local gods. And so they lived up the hill, half a mile, mile away. And they would pray and they would ask God to, to give them some sort of a, um, some sort of a breakthrough, some sort of a change that, that they would be allowed into this village. They didn't experience any breakthrough. In fact, they didn't, from their perspective, experience any sign of hope. The only person from that village who was even allowed to talk to them was a little boy who had once a week, he would come up the hill and he would bring with him some chickens and some eggs. And once a week he could come up and he was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs. Well, Svi decided that if he was the only one she could talk to, then sure enough, she would share the gospel with him. And after a time, he ended up becoming a believer. Well, after they were there for a while, Svi became pregnant. And the same time she became pregnant, she also uh, became uh, sick. And so she gave birth to a, a baby girl, and then 17 days later, she died. Svi died. Her husband, David, was, was rocked by this. He went and he dug a grave. He buried his wife. And he couldn't handle any of this anymore. There was another missionary couple there, the Ericsons. So he gave his daughter to the Ericsons and he told them, he said, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. Sounds a bit like Naomi. Well, this couple, the Ericsons that were given this child, they ended up eight months later, they got sick. They died. And now this little girl ended up being placed with this American family who started calling her Aggie. Her Swedish name was a little hard for them and hard for others. And so this American family called her Aggie. They decided not to go back to, to be missionaries again uh, in Africa because they were afraid of, of what might happen. Would they get separated from their daughter, any of those kinds of things. So they, they brought her up 
uh, in, in America. They brought her over when she was three. They brought her up there. She grew up, and she married a man named Dewey Hurst. Dewey Hurst, who was the president of a, became president of a Christian college there. They had children. They had a great life. Um, they, they loved the Lord. They, they did all these things. And then one day, one day, Somehow, a Swedish magazine shows up in, in Aggie's mailbox. She didn't speak Swedish. She was raised by this American family. So she starts flipping through the pages. She's curious, and she sees a picture of a white cross. And on that cross are the words, Sve Flood. She doesn't speak uh, the language, and so she takes it to someone who can translate for her. And she says, what? is this story about? And the translator begins to tell her, and so this is what's been written down, is, is he says that this story that he starts to read is her story. It's the story of this couple who went to the African Congo, and, and they had a little child, and then the wife died. It's a story about how one little African boy who had been led to Christ had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a village in the school, or a school in the village. The article also went on, and it said that gradually, this boy who grew up and built a school in the village led all of his students to Christ. The children then led their parents to Christ, and then the chief even became a Christian. And at the time the article was written, there were 600 Christian believers in that village. Incredible. Incredible. But there's more. You see, years later, Aggie and her husband were given a sabbatical and they were gifted a trip to Sweden. And so being in Sweden, Aggie decided, I'm going to try and find out if my dad is still alive. So she does some searching, she does some hunting, and she finds her biological father and she is warned, just don't say God's name around him. She goes in, she finds him, they have tears at their reunion, he looks at her and says, I'm so sorry, and they they hug, and he says, I never meant to leave you, and she looks at him and she says, it's okay, God took care of me. He stiffens up, the tears stop, and he looks at her and he says, God forgot all of us, our lives have been like this because of him, and then she begins to tell him this story, and she says, Papa, Jesus loves you, and he has never hated you. And they write this, the old man turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God he had resented for so many decades. And it wasn't too long after that that he passed into glory. Incredible. Incredible. But there's more. You see, a few years later, Aggie and her husband were at an evangelism conference in London. And this man gets up to give a report from a a country called Zaire, formerly the Belgian Congo. This man gets up and he begins to share how this gospel has spread throughout the nation. How at the time he was giving this report, there were over 110,000 believers. Afterwards, Aggie goes up to him and, and through a translator, she asks, Did you ever 
hear anything about my parents, David and Sfi, in French, translated into English. He says, yes, madam. It was Sfi Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He invited her then to come to Africa to visit. And I think I have a picture. So this is Sfi on, uh, she's on, on the right in the, the darker blouse there with this village. And then there should be one more. It might be hard to see. But this is Sfi at her mother's grave. Or this is Aggie, I'm sorry. Aggie at her mother's grave. We need a God who remembers our name. We need his people who will call us by that name, who will call us back to who we are in Christ, who won't let us forget who won't let us live in bitterness and grief, in confusion, in sorrow. They will call us back to who God has made us to be. But we also need the one, a Savior, whose name is above all names, who can weave everything together, who can take our worst days, our hardest moments, all all of that pain, He can take all of it and He can weave it together for His glory and for our good, so that at the end, and we, we may not get this type of resolution, we may not see uh, uh, looking at our lives now, we may not be able to see that thread and how it is woven in, but someday, someday we will look back and we will be there with the Savior whose name is above all names, and we will look back and we will see that He has worked all things together for His glory and for our good. And we will see that even our worst days have been woven together into his beautiful tapestry. That is the story of Ruth. That is the story of this book. And that is the story that God is working out in your life. Let's pray.